0: Some of us are back from summer, a lot of us aren't, and many of us are still hoping for that Indian summer in September. Meanwhile, I'm already really starting to crave the fall spices. I don't know if it's because it's the weather here, but we're kind of through the heat wave. It's starting to get a little chilly. It's getting darker, and I'm just going to say it, I am starting to feel very Halloween-y, and I've been saying it all year. Halloween like big things are gonna be happening during this Halloween. Not just for me, but I feel like for everybody Anyway, anyway, kismet things aside today We're sitting down with Matthew and Tercey's Engelhart the founders of Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre Pretty sure everyone has sat their butt down one of their one of their establishments and Have experienced the wonder that is good food (laughs) They're also the co-authors behind the book, Sacred Commerce, Business, as a Path of Awakening. Not to mention their home turf. It's this all-encompassing practice of regenerative living on their biodynamic, love farm. This just to mention a few of the multitude of avenues to which they serve in their purpose. You know the opening scene in Love Actually? That's kind of how I feel about this episode, or more specifically, Matthew and Tercey's. Now, I may sound a lot less sexy than Hugh Grant. I'll bet just as mushy in saying this, but there's no better way to describe these two as anything other than the simple acknowledgement of human love. This is Amen to Abundance with Matthew and Tercey's heart A quick heads up. We're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from Northern California in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. <laughs>
1: well i had an amazing childhood my parents were uh were great (laughs) and um i'd say one of the formative things about my life is when i was um like seven years old six years old uh, my parents best friends got killed in a car accident and they had made an agreement to take their children if anything happened to them so our family went from four to nine overnight. I think this got me very used to the idea of community. And, um, you know, as an adult, I've lived in um, community my, almost my, I think my entire life. And um, so yeah, my childhood was very, like our house was always full of people. Uh, we traveled. We lived in Germany and Austria for a year each. Um, yeah, happy, great. No, no nothing. Nothing. Of, no demon in my childhood that I have to. I'm still carrying forward. Uh, lived in a small town in upstate New York with you know very little crime. And my parents were political radicals and kind of agnostic atheists. But they started a Unitarian church. So it was eclectic and great and fun and and I rebelled and in high school I read autobiography of a yogi and said this is my party and I my rebellion was God. <laughs> yeah.
2: And you lived in a teepee?
1: And I lived in a teepee out of high school. Didn't go to college. Didn't go to college. Both my parents were professors. Didn't go to college.
0: And so, well, yeah. what was that like? that family dynamic like from all of a sudden there's a whole entire all these other children around you and you're trying to find a place within the family dynamic
1: well i think for my mother it was difficult i think for the older kids children in the family that lost their parents i mean i think it was very difficult for the children that lost their parents of course i think my parents did the best they could i think back in the early 60s we didn't have the tools and the Wherewithal to, to process grief. I think there was a strategy of just kind of moving on back then. And, you know, for me it was fine. And I know that it, it was, wasn't completely smooth for uh, that other family. But that other family was our best friends. They lived a block away. So we were all already very close. Um, so, you know, I think everyone did the best they could and uh but for me it wasn't i don't remember it being traumatic at all
0: and did you find that in what ways were you there for those other children
1: i was seven <laughs> so uh, yeah i don't how was i there for that i i know that all of a sudden i had a younger sister who was you know two or three when this happened and um i'd say i teased her incessantly and probably excessively um <laughs> I don't think I, I was particularly there for them at that moment but, but we're still family my that, that sister's coming to visit next month
0: I mean that's beautiful that your family expanded in this way through such a tragedy but that that is still how you yes how humans connect
1: yeah and I think it kind of set in motion a, a community based mindset for me because uh, another interesting story about me is my brother and I married identical twins and we lived in one house with one wallet and one checkbook for, uh, you don't have checks anymore, but one bank account for eight years. Yeah, just another one of those merging, melting stories, right? Yeah.
2: And so let's see here, I grew up in a military family. I've moved a lot in my life. And I'm the youngest of three girls. And let's see, I would say, you know, my dad was a very patient, kind, fair, honest man. And my mom kind of ran a tight show and actually had to, because she was oftentimes alone. And we lived, you know, she lived in Haiti when there wasn't much development there. We lived in Cuba pre Castro and so, um, but I grew up as a athlete. So my sister and I were swimmers and, uh, yeah, I grew up as an athlete, but then I was abused at 16 by a military physician and kept it a secret to protect him. So then I lived with an eating disorder from 16 to 36. And then, you know, my journey with Um, I grew up in a Christian home and was always very drawn to uh, the story of Jesus. But then in the years of addiction, really, I was just kind of running and hiding and surviving. And then began my recovery 33 years ago when I was 36. And um, again, that was like drawing closer once again to god and really like a spiritual awakening walking me out of those 20 years and then my life's really been about giving back working with young people i primarily spent most of my adult years working with people between the ages of 16 and 36 and yeah and still do i you know i still do i teach at um our local church's leadership program and most of our employees fall within those ranges and Cafe Gratitude really was an opportunity to serve and give back and create a healthy environment for people to heal and grow and wake up. Yeah, so great, I mean, amazing childhood. My parents were, we did amazing things and traveled a lot sang and camped and, you know, great life. And I would say in the teenage, from the teenage years on, it was challenging, you know, again, in the fifties and sixties, people didn't talk about their problems. Eating disorders weren't even a thing. You know, nobody really knew what they were. People hid, you know, they hid the discrepancies in perfection. And so, you know, I'd say those were the most difficult and challenging times and you know the recovery's been miraculous and amazing.
0: Do you know why that say that trauma manifested in a way that led to an eating disorder?
2: Well, I think anytime you keep secrets, you feel like things are out of control. I mean, it was really a big betrayal. There was actually quite a premeditated setup for it. So I would say um, you know, my, I grew up in a home where my mother definitely was driven by perfection and grew up as a competitive athlete, so there was, you know, just the, the predisposition for it was there. My mother, you know, food was how she showed her love for you, you know, I'd say, so there were lots of markers for, um, kind of destined to that, you know, my sister... My sister, while her story is slightly different than mine, my sister struggled with alcoholism most of her life. My other sister was a smoker. So again, I think when you live in an environment and you're raised in an environment where it isn't safe to be transparent, where there isn't a lot of um, you know open, honest conversation about challenges and difficulties, I think they always manifest in some type of disease. And today, I think we're seeing it as, you know, depression, uh, obesity, sensitivity, suicide. I mean, I think it's it's not gone away. It's just expressing itself differently. And there's still, you know, an ever-increasing number of people struggling with food issues. And food issues are still masked in our world of, you know, body perfection through exercise, working out, superfoods. You know, it's... It's not like it's gone away.
0: Yep, and we're seeing the gut, su- it's such a prevalent factor in so many health issues today. So we're we're slowly attuning ourselves to who we are, physically, mentally, spiritually. Having heard all of this, I'd love to hear how you would, say, both describe each other as you are today.
1: You mean you want me to describe teracy, right? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh... So Teresi is probably, let's see, um, Teresi lives, um, she puts love in action as much as anyone I've ever met. Like, she is not like talk about love, but actually serve love and show up in action. And um, yeah, I think. In her community, she is known as someone who walks her talk and um, actually has kind of, I think the minister of her church actually acknowledged her for upping the bar, raising the bar in the whole church community. It's a huge community, about 5,000 people. She she single-handedly has raised the bar on what it is to be love and do love. Um Aww. So, yeah, that's how I would describe her.
2: Uh, I would describe Matthew as a seeker. Like, I think he's always seeking. You know, I think all of us want to love and be loved, and we want to belong, and I think that's kind of a lifelong journey for all human beings, however that might look. But I would say Matthew is a seeker. Um, He's definitely a rebel, and he's... one of the most generous human beings I know. Um, He loves to contribute to other people and he doesn't really miss too many opportunities where we can, you know, support, encourage, invest in, um, you know, guide. So we're kind of always uh, reaching out and looking for ways in which we can Make a difference in someone else's life um i think he's really committed and on a quest to uh you know live free of or as free as possible of the demands of the ego which i think probably lead to also his extreme generosity um Yeah, I would say that's probably his primary, his primary focus is um, embodying more of God consciousness and less of egoic, um, yeah, distractions. So he's, you know, does deep and, you know, deep internal commitment, deep internal work. And at the same time, he's very generous you know, in the
0: communities we walk in. And how did you both meet?
1: We met at Landmark Education, which is a, well, you should know it. In Dutch Holland they have it, but it's a transformational uh, business. business that's been going on for, they, they provide workshops worldwide, and um, they do something called the Landmark Forum. But we were both working at, we were both in, we, in a course at Landmark.
2: I was coaching a course and Matthew was in a course and I went on to be on staff there and Matthew, we were both we were both stepping into and being trained up in leadership when we uh you know fell in love and realized we didn't want to be separate our whole life traveling all over the world and so that was really what birthed Cafe Gratitude was we knew we were committed to transformation we wanted to find a vehicle we felt like it would be awesome if people could um, be transformed around great food and a kitchen table, and that was really the initial concept and perception of Café Gratitude.
0: So how have you found that you've built upon each other's weaknesses within your partnership?
2: Well, I would, I would say that, you know, we're we're very different, and yet we have very similar commitments. And so, you know, if you participate in a workshop of ours, you can see that we, we um, you know, can finish each other's sentences, but more so than that, we each bring a perspective that enhances the other person's perspective. So I'd say the combination of our voice is much more powerful than either of our voices individually. And um,
1: I would say, You know, so I'd say one of the things that Tercy didn't have before she met me was the idea of abundance and that, um, you know, spirit is an abundance and abundance has has all the qualities of abundance and that money is just an expression of that and that, um, yeah, that money can be spiritized, that it doesn't have to be always on the... uh, The fallen side of life (laughs) and mostly it is but um
2: well that was really your dedication and commitment before we met (laughs) was your spiritual path was spiritizing money
1: yeah so i had done a lot of work around completely changing the money conversation internally and i think chair didn't had got had that piece yet and so in terms of like what i what it provided or that was we call it a weakness um that she really took that and, and and flew with it and you know out of that we created cafe gratitude and so forth sacred
2: commerce sacred gracias Congress. madre yeah. yeah really what what Matthew and I have done together in our lives over the 16 years we've been together has been birth a community known as cafe gratitude and gracias madre which is much more vast than just the people who come in and dine with us and the people who work with us the team of people who work with us because we've led workshops all over and you know so the community is vast and far-reaching more so than any of us know and that's really what we've done with our life is kind of build sustain encourage and support the growth of that community and still
1: that's what we do and, and i had tercy has the stamina perseverance thing her 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 animal medicine is elk stamina, and uh, I'm I hit a wall, and I'm like, ah, eh, I can let's let go of this. And she's no, she's like,
0: <sighs> she's like, let's go through with this.
1: That's right. Yeah, so I would
2: say both of us share the quality of we'll do whatever it takes to get something up and going. And I would say Matthew is a quicker initiator, and I'm a more sustained finisher.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And before the book, Sacred Commerce, correct me if I'm wrong, but the two of you created a board game called The Abounding River?
2: Correct. That was before everything. That was the first thing. You know, we were really trusting God uh, or trusting spirit or trusting inner guidance, however people um, identify that. And the first insight that we received was invent a transformational board game. And neither of us were, we don't even play board games and neither of us were board game inventors. But that journey of creating that board game over a year um, really was the foundation of Cafe Gratitude because we ended up creating this board game and then we were like, well, what are we going to do with these 500 games? And we thought, well, we'll create a little cafe where we have... Coffee and croissants are great baked goods, pulling from Matthew loved coffee. I had bakery skills, and uh, people will come in and play the game is really the initial idea. And then, um, you know, ultimately it became a raw food cafe. And then, um, you know, the board game was embedded in the tables, the, and people actually came in to play the game and eat raw food and be transformed through you know the affirmations on the menu and the question of the day and a lot of the things that we had built into that model and um yeah that's how it all began and then it grew quickly and then we went through our betrayal process and then we moved to la and it expanded there and now we're looking at going out of state
0: just going back to the board game though quickly as, what did you want, say, the players to acknowledge and come to realize while yeah, the playing board, the board game?
2: Well, the board game is really about how do you keep your attention on qualities of the divine, however you express that, like generosity, gratitude, worth, love acceptance, um abundance how do you keep your attention on qualities of the divine and not get distracted by the day-to-day circumstances of life and that really is the basis of cafe gratitude how do you keep your attention on being grateful no matter what and we just happen to use the model of a restaurant in which to practice that that's really what we do is we've created a commercial environment for people to actually practice keeping their attention on the qualities that bring out and affirm the best in us rather than complain, worry, stress.
0: I feel as as a humanity, we're seeking something and that's that's our purpose. And as a primitive chain reaction to that, we've come to see the development of a global workforce which is just commonly broken down into the four types of industry Um, But it really speaks to the numerous forms of human interest and that to some extent, the structure which we've come to operate under, our professions could serve as a mirror to where we are in the spiritual spectrum. And so this being said, I really want to know why you took to the workforce as a means to introduce sacred commerce, as opposed to, say, holding lectures throughout schools or educational establishments and furthering this message.
1: Well... Most, most people spend most... 90,000
2: hours no. in a life at work.
1: Oh, yeah. So we spend most of our life at work, most of our awake life at work. So it seems like work is a much better place to... Uh, tra- if we can get a, a transformational environment in at work, that seems like a way more powerful thing than a lecture, which is theoretical rather than where the rubber hits the application. road. Application something that actually produces something. Can you produce something? Can you be productive and at the same time transform your life and rather not, than some the, theory uh, uh, of a lecture? But by the way, we have done trainings in schools in, uh, in Mexico. So it's not that it isn't applicable to school, but we felt like commerce, we spend most of our life in some kind of commerce. So, Well,
2: uh, and also I would say, um, you know, we didn't want it to be you go to work and then you invest in your personal growth on your free time. We actually wanted to work on not increasing that split of work play or work growth, but get that it's one life and that work is an amazing opportunity and an optimal environment to do personal growth because you're in relationship particularly in the service industry, which we're in, the service and hospitality. And then there's the element, because, of course, coming from my background, there's the element of we really led the way in healthy plant-based food. 16 years ago, there wasn't commercial almond milk or cold-processed coffee or green juice like there is now. So we kind of forged our way so that we also could provide the healthy nutrition, which supports the internal work, you know, it's tough to do internal work if you're living on processed foods, caffeine and sugar. And so it was that kind of magical combination. And then also the element of finances when money's involved in it, because a lot of our initial work was in that realm, what Matthew was sharing with you about abundance, when when he shared with me and I learned about this kind of abundant thinking, which by the way, is not manifestation. Then I was like, "Well, let's share this with everyone because it's another quality Matthew and I have is when we're exposed to something, when we see something that we think is, and you know, has an advantage. We've experienced the advantage in our life. Both of us are called then to share it with other people. So initially, our work was very much around uh, viewing life, viewing life from an abundant point of view."
1: that rather than scarcity yeah, consider that consider that's probably what we need to go back to as human beings we're we're born into scarcity. In scarcity not enough money not enough time not enough beauty not enough intelligence not enough love
0: that scarcity born... model yes yeah
2: and so we were we you know the first restaurant over the door it said a world of plenty our primary focus was developing an abundant mindset of which being grateful gives you access to. You can't experience the abundance of all of life if when you're not being grateful. So those two were the primary focus. And a commercial setting, a commercial environment, which also included healthy food, was you know, really what we were guided to do and ultimately what became such a fertile growing ground for you know, what we're now calling sacred commerce.
0: And touching back on that point of manifestation, what would you say to those who would argue and have adopted the mindset that being on that higher vibrational level because they are operating from a place of I am abundance and therefore would be pulling that energy towards them, what would you say to those people and that it is actually not manifestation? Well,
2: Well, you want to go there?
1: Well... So that's, that's all very, very, very egoic. No, God is abundant. God is completely abundant. And all we need to do is get out of of the way and realize that. That's very different than I'm going to create a parking place. Like that's all ego driven. That's all egoic will. So it's, it's about getting in. It's about realizing that you you live in an abundance universe you you were born into an abundance universe it was here before you were here and it's it's just a matter of shifting shifting your attention from scarcity to abundance
2: see it's not it's so interesting because in some ways you can hear the overlap but i think you just have to be careful it's not like you make it it's like you actually get out of the way and begin to see it but it's already here It's simply that your attention is your greatest worship power and your attention gets captivated by lack more often than it gets captivated by plenty. And when you can learn to manage your attention and keep it on how unbelievably abundantly we are provided for, then more shows up. But you can't be looking for it. And I think my rub against the manifestation thinking is, you do something in order to and that actually is manipulation not manifestation and so it's not that you do something in order to it's that no god's already done it it's already here and what there is for us to do is manage how easily we get distracted to insufficiency instead of abundance which has already been provided for
1: us it's actually easier to see with love you don't you don't manifest love. You clean up your act, and love fills the space. Love is love is a quality of the universe. It's infinite, and and it and it's just a matter of you putting getting your perception sorted out. And love is there. Love is there. Love is always there. It's the same with abundance. So, uh, yeah, the 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 whole new age manifestation thing is a little bit puts the ego kind of in charge. And that can get, that's a slippery slope.
0: It's almost, yeah, in a way playing God a little bit and taking, and yeah, and and claiming that space for yourself. Um, Yeah, you gotta be careful about that. Yeah, and so what did that look like in translating this dialogue to your first employees and the people that really came on board during those early days to form that basis team?
2: Well, it was exciting and fascinating because basically we had, you know, a a small crew, 11, 12 people of um,
1: street gypsies, you know,
2: we say that term with love, right, with affection, street gypsies, oftentimes young people who wouldn't have considered themselves the most employable they were they were rebels they were people that were seeking they were looking for something different
1: they were dumpster, uh, dumpster divers you know
2: <laughs> and so we took that group of people and really we played the game together we did a lot of work together in really looking at what is it in us that gets in the way of us realizing how how amazingly provided for we are regardless of what your life might look like and they actually were up for the game, they played full out, you know, not everyone stayed on board. Some people didn't, um, you know, some of those people are still in, still in our community. So it was exciting. It was fascinating. It was future creating and it really altered those people's lives and, and thousands of people after them in their view of life.
0: And so within this, Communication is so key and it's people doing the work on themselves, but then also learning how to communicate with others. And so I'd love to know what a typical team building exercise would look like at the cafe.
2: Well, you know, the most team building exercise we do, we've done every single day for 16 years with every single employee to the best of our ability. And it's called clearing and it's still what we do. And it's a, it's a brief, Um, We allow 10 minutes on the clock for two people. And it's a brief uh, conversation where you simply ask someone what's distracting them. There's lots of ways you can do that. But ask someone what's distracting them. Let them share with you. Repeat back what they said without coaching, adding, subtracting, empathizing, sympathizing. Simply mirror back to them what they said. And then ask them when their attention is on that. How do they feel? So you move someone from their head, from a mental concept or construct, into their heart, which is you know a, a, an emotional state. And then repeat back to them the emotions that come up that surface when their attention's on that. Thank them for sharing. And then the second question is a question that brings them into the here, the now. What are you grateful for was the question we asked for years until people wanted more variety. And now we have lots of ways of basically saying, what are you grateful for? And then acknowledging the person. And acknowledgement is one of the tools of calling forth the best in another person. Instead of looking for what's not working, acknowledge those intrinsic values that we all have that oftentimes go unexpressed and unrecognized. And the truth is we can shift any community with the tool of acknowledgement. We still do that every single day in our restaurants with 700 and some people.
1: And and how it creates community is that people really share deeply because it's a safe space. And the only way that human beings ever connect is by sharing their fallenness, their foibles, their, their human experience, their humanity. And so it creates this glue in the community where everyone, first of all, it's safe and everyone can, it's safe to tell one on them, on yourself. It's safe to, people feel heard, really heard, like we got in each other's world. And it creates a, a community that's like no other work community, you know, better than family, because in family, a lot of people, times people can't, aren't good at listening to each other. So... Uh, yeah it's it's very effective
2: and we continue to you know we've built this farm up in Vacaville we bring managers and employees here for training and incentives so we continue to develop the communication skills of our people because you're absolutely right it all happens in communication And, you know, you see in sacred commerce, there's a whole gamut of tools that we teach. We call them the 10 10 tools for a powerful or grateful community. And we still teach those. And it's always, it's always what we'll be doing because you get them in, they fall out. You get them in, they fall out. Because human beings have an amazing capacity for taking things for granted and not necessarily keeping in place things that support them most. And so we're here always on the sidelines, encouraging and coaching and supporting our people in keeping those tools in and actually using and applying them in their life.
0: People, all they want to be, all they want at the end of the day is to truly be acknowledged and loved and that they have a hand to hold. Absolutely. Given that both of you have, the years that you have been in this, just... How have you seen the masculine and feminine energy differ in terms of communication and teamwork?
2: Well, I think, you know, we end up being, quite frankly, in the early days, we ended up being and holding the projection of everyone for their mother and father because, you know, Matthew holds more of that masculine position and I hold more of that compassionate, loving mother position, but really it's... it's. You know, how that works is, I I would say it's simply loving people where they're at without judgment and then helping them see a new way to see things wherever they might be stuck or stopped in their life. I don't think we focus on masculine and feminine um, energies so much as, you know, just really looking at what's the next, what's, what's next for that person, how does that person rise above whatever might be. What might be stopping or blocking them?
1: But we did go back and forth often between being too nurturing and giving, cutting employees too much slack into the feminine, and then we'd swing into the masculine discipline, you know,
2: policy, policy
1: agreements, and we would get heavy in the masculine, and then we would swing back to the to the more receptive. uh, And that's
2: more as organization, as organization as an organization, and that's I think still there,
1: still there. It's always it's always a balance. It's a razor's edge to, to live in that balance between the, the masculine and the feminine.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you need the both. And it's I it, just like to preface that it doesn't matter say what you identify as. It's it's just no. what you.
2: In fact, sixteen years ago, there wasn't a lot of conversation about what you identify yeah. as.
0: But now we're finally in a space where people can come forth, and not all of us are able to do that, but. And there's acknowledgement towards that. And that spaces such as yours are safe.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, because partly what that's about is just loving people where they're at. Yeah. You know, love is all-inclusive. Love does not exclude anyone. Yeah. And that's important for people to remember. If it does, it's not love. Exactly.
0: Because
2: we're distinguishing it.
0: And so now that we know a little bit more of the dialogue with the people working at your establishments, I'd love to know how you've gone about countering the customer and the employee experience. Like, If a person enters an establishment and they come in with a certain energy, um, a certain vibe that just they're there for the food, but that's all it is. And there's this argument, constant argument of, oh, it's too, it's too woo-woo in quotation marks. Everyone always loves to say it's too woo-woo or it's too out there. How have you approached that?
2: Well, I, I would say that in the early days, we had much more of that because we were. But now, you know, life has expanded and we've also become more, um, you know more organized more systems less um you know very much less woo-woo so i don't know that we ever hear that i'd say there are people way more woo-woo than we are or than our company is but i would say again it doesn't matter love them where they're at love them serve them you know be grateful for them praise them it doesn't matter if you want to come in just for the food and you you're over you know overwhelmed and irritated by the affirmations great we don't we don't confront that it's we just love you where you're at
1: yeah it's about being present with wherever they're at so the the hummus is called i am happy or used to be so the guy somebody comes in and goes i don't want to be happy i just want the hummus and you just say great so what i hear you say is you don't want to be happy, and you want the hummus, the hummus coming right up. And then when you bring the hummus out, you say, you are happy. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: love that. That's the rebel.
0: If you don't mind my asking, in having kick-started the business, which is radically different to the norm here, I'd say here especially, I don't see businesses and their internal structures being set up in a way at all to like yours which is just, I mean, I've been to, when I was in California, um, Los Angeles, I, I loved Cafe Gratitude so much. I mean, it was a second home. Lunch, like, dinner, breakfast, like, everything in between. I loved it. Um, but how have you seen this translate in terms of sales and the company's bottom line?
1: <laughs> well,
2: Well, we believe that love is measurable and that it is a part of the bottom line and you know we've had our successes and we've had our
1: failures I mean basically dollars are just votes right people are voting for what your product by giving you their dollars so you know and there's some people places where people get it more and they vote like I don't know if you went to the uh, cafe gratitude in Venice on Rose but you know that's like the yogina capital of the world and that that restaurant just rocks it, and people vote for that. They want to have that experience. In Orange County, we have a restaurant. Orange County is different. Orange County is not so Yogini. yogini woo woo. They want they're more, you know, they, they're more like cocktails the, and steak, cocktails, steaks, and Maserati. So it's a, it's a little bit harder. We're a little we're a little bit of an outpost there, and it. We, there aren't as many votes. You're for still cats.
2: finding your tribe. We're
1: still, yeah, we're still or creating the tribe, or so you know, it's it, it, it's different in different places. But you just we just keep showing up and serving love and uh,
2: trusting that people tr- will trust discover that, and experience it. Yeah.
1: Have we had to close restaurants? Yes. Might we close restaurants in the future? Yes. Sorry, it's part of the game.
2: Not everybody gets
0: it. I'd love to. Talk more then on how the scaling of the business and what and making sure that Catholic gratitude and gracias, madre now as well. Like, what steps did you take to make sure that the integrity wasn't compromised?
1: You well, mean we're, all gross? we're always, we're always, well, first of all, we're always doing that and we're always failing at that and always succeeding at that. So, but to start with, the food is always organic.
2: Well, we can't
1: even say that anymore, so. Uh, Well, we can say it's organic source, but anyway, because of the the laws. Anyway, you know, in terms of the food, it's the highest, we have a big stake in the ground. It's very little compromise when it comes to- The source uh, of
2: our food. source
1: of our food. Um, When it comes to, um, you know, treating our employees, let's say playing our employees, there's some challenges there because in California, you can't offset wages with t- tips and gratuities. I know in Europe, you guys don't have this tip or gratuity problem. But it, in, United, in California, you have to pay the front of the house and the back of the house um, this, the minimum wage, which is, I don't know, like, say, 15 bucks. But the, the servers in the front of the house get the tips, and they we, you can't share them with the back of the house. And so there's a the the front of the house employees, which are usually older immigrants, people that have been in the United States a while, are making thirty forty dollars an hour, and back of the house is maybe topping out at eighteen bucks an hour, something like that. And so you have a little bit of an unfairness, but that's the law, and we're always trying to like impact that because it, you know it creates it creates a culture back of the house, front of the house culture, so that's a place where our our hands are a little bit tied and we're always doing taking little steps and little adjustments to make that more fair um uh in terms of integrity you know
2: i mean i think just what you said babe you're always you notice when it goes out you put it back in you know we're a business we have a business structure we have handbooks we have policies we have procedures we have all of the elements than a normal business has, and then we also have compassion and empathy, and we see the opportunity to train people and being honest and showing up and seeing that they're valued and an important member of a team. So we have all of those elements, and we're utilizing both customer interaction and then team building to actually build the skill set that would have people be, you know, their best person. Um, and, you know, we serve and deal with a lot of people. So and when you, when we're always with... putting the correction in. And our biggest mistake has probably been keeping people that don't want to play the game we're playing too long. And we've learned that lesson over and over again because we have a tendency to overbelieve in the goodness of people. And sometimes people aren't up for actually changing their attitude, having their life. Yeah, be founded on
1: goodness. And that life's an inside job.
2: And that it can't be done to them, they actually have to participate with us.
0: Yeah. And do you feel that the careers people are choosing and the integral structures of brands, as well as the way in which they interact these days, are maturing in a way that facilitates human connectivity and empathy?
2: Oh, I don't know. I think it depends on where you put your focus, right? I would say um, in some ways, I'd say yes, much more than before, before being, you know, just our experience. And in other ways, I'd say, you know, it's harder for people to build a face-to-face connection because people are so used to screen relationships and so again, it, but I see that as an opportunity for us to up our game and Help people really learn the value of personal interaction versus Electronic connection
0: and so you with you introduced this way of living um, Living really it's it's a lifestyle absolutely um And I'd love to know how you've seen it impact on a more personal level, your family?
2: Well, I think, you know, both of our sons, two of our our sons married customers. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, we have 13, 11 grandchildren, two more on the way before Christmas, so we'll have 13 grandchildren. Oh, wow. We We all work together. We're all each other's best friends. Our favorite vacation is the one we take together every year. There's, I think... 23, soon to be 25 of us, and just first line children, spouses, and grandkids. Um, I would say, you know, while we've got five children that each have raised their children slightly differently, all the kids are amazing and they get along and they love to be together. Um,
1: I'd say sometimes our t- kids feel like we they get neglected because we have, have such a share big us. They have to share us with a big community. You know, <laughs> we live
2: in. Farm. So even when they come, it's not just hang out with grandma and grandpa. There's, you know, six or seven or eight other people here that are kind of incorporated into the extended family. So I would say it's had a huge impact. <laughs> uh, you know, we have interest. If you count our kids in our kids restaurants, we have interest in 14 restaurants now. So, you know, we're a foodie family and, um, we all eat well and we love well. And I would say, you know, we're really good at appreciating and accepting each other's differences and still all getting along and having love be the common denominator. And we have, I mean, we have Oaxacans, our our daughter married her cook. So we have two little Oaxacan grandchildren gonna have a third. Our family vacations in Oaxaca this year but we'll get to go meet Elias's family. Yeah, so it's a very eclectic, uh, loving, vivacious, you know, community, uh, you know, called family.
0: That's the dream. That's that's what I dream of. That's amazing. It's an entire family affair, and I love to know what a day looks like at the farm. It's it's called Be Love Farm.
2: Yeah, so we, we, we camped out here for eight years and didn't have a house We lived in a yurt and we had an outdoor bath and a composting toilet and kind of a funky outdoor kitchen and now we, 12 years later, we have a beautiful community uh, farmhouse, uh, we have an updated bathhouse and an updated outdoor kitchen, we still have the composting toilet. And pretty much, you know, we start the day with, uh, I melt cows, make cheese. And, um, you know, we live with apprentices, people who are learning farming or or advancing in their farming skills. Our primary focus is uh, regenerating our soil, like building and supporting soil health. Uh, We grow a lot of food. We have a little farm store on the farm. And it's a combination of, you know, conference calls, podcasts, farming chores. We have two meals in community. So feeding people, preparing food, preserving food, and then supporting the local community in, you know, ways that we do that here. So when we're home, that's what it looks like. And, you know, when we're not here, we're usually working uh, with our restaurant um you know, restaurant community and training and supporting them. So, yeah, it's it's an amazing life. We make bread, we make cheese, we make pizzas. Uh, You know, we care for sheep and cows and chickens and ducks and people and dogs. It's great. You should come sometime. We do, we also host people here a lot. We do events. We have Airbnb. It's kind of a combination of lots of different expressions of, Loving people and inviting people into our world.
0: I mean, there's just a multitude of avenues through which you just express love. Yeah, exactly. And touching on um, regenerative regenerative agriculture, um, if we could maybe lay the basis on what that form of farming looks like and why it's integral, why it's so integral these days.
1: Well... Basically, agriculture is the most degrading and polluting industry on the planet. And it's, it's done more to impact the planet than any other. And enterprise, as you probably remember from school, Sahara Desert used to be the grain bowl of the Roman Empire. And where civilization started was called the Fertile Crescent, which is that area that kind of goes from Syria through Iraq. Well, there's nothing fertile about that area of the world now, because we have, we have degraded the soil and desertified the soil. So that's still going on. It's happening all over the world. Uh, and it's only because we have this global food system that it's not as apparent as it could be. But basically, the, uh, regenerative agriculture is that we, we can actually grow food on a particular, we can steward land in a way that we can grow food on it and each year the carrying capacity of the soil, the life carrying capacity of the soil will be increased, not decreased. So it's rather than, you know, agriculture is a degrading proposition and there's a lot of conversation about sustainability, but sustainability is just sustaining a degraded system. We, you could, there's actually ways of farming where each year you're increasing the yield, you're increasing the carrying capacity of that property, and still produce food. And that's what regenerative agriculture is. It's using the principles of nature uh, to to produce our food rather than the, the principles of um,
0: mankind. ego. Mankind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to ask, what are your favorite recipes? It's spring, summer's coming. There's just living with the seasonal produce that you're seeing come into bloom. How are you putting these to use in the kitchen?
1: Well, right now we have asparagus, uh, so uh, we're enjoying asparagus. We we have a big wood-fired pizza oven, so we make sourdough pizza with uh, asparagus and other toppings on it. That's pretty good.
2: you know, right now we're just beginning really, a, I mean, a, sp- a, spring garden we're planting, but, um, you know, we still have, we, we have lettuces and kale, um, but mostly it's just green and lush. Remember, we don't get rain in our summer months. This is, we're just coming out of our rain, which is winter and it's beautiful and it's green and the ground soft. Um, and you know, there's birds everywhere. And, uh, it's it's just so lush flowers you know it's such a lush time of year and soon we'll be swimming in you know late spring early summer produce
1: and and one of the one of the little world exclusive recipes if you come to below farm you can have sometimes not always is colostrum ice cream so (laughs) when
0: what is that
1: when when a cow has a, a calf And the first couple days of milk is colostrum. All mammals produce colostrum. And it's this, um, it's this, it's this superfood, you know, a lot of bodybuilders and stuff drink it, but it's it's full of antibodies. It's full of um, enzymes. It's full of minerals and uh, yeah, just superfoods for the calf. In fact, if the calf doesn't get any, uh, it'll die and its immune system will be compromised for life but the cow produces more than the calf needs and so we we always take some off and it's very thick if you let it settle in a glass jar it, it actually has a color like a orange to it to be orange or magenta color and it's super creamy and super rich and we make pudding out of it and we make ice cream out of it and it's it's a world exclusive. I don't know. I've never heard of anyone else making it.
2: I would say, yeah, on our farm, we're kind of known for our sourdough bread and just, you know, the amazing variety of food eaten as close to nature as you can get it. And that's really like the luxury of growing your own food and harvesting it right before you eat it. And we have a little farm store, so we serve our local community and we also sell some produce to a few local restaurants that aren't our restaurants but they're just local in our area so yeah it's a luscious life
0: that that truly is i mean you're you're serving as an entire fundamental basis to a lot of people within connection and food and how do you view that gut intuition connection for yourself What does that feel like, and how do you interact and, say, make space for that? Well,
2: I'm happy to go first. I would say, um, you know, I would say certainly since recovery, but even prior to that as a child, I would say I've I've always been obedient to my intuition. And when I'm obedient, miracles happen. And when I'm not obedient, life's more difficult. And I've just learned to trust and listen to that and it's taken me to some amazing places and um for me it's you know the most nourishing relationship and the most inspiring life um because it always leads me into you know an ever-expanding experience of love
1: Okay, yeah. and, and I would say yeah it's it's just a matter of listening and then acting upon it and it's not a hundred percent. Sometimes I listen to an ego and I act upon that, and sometimes I act upon my intuition, my inner self, my being is what I would say call it. And and it's just a matter of oh, being okay with. For me, I've I've become very okay with. oh, that was an ego. Okay, or oh, that was that was my being. Like, but the most important thing is to listen and act and see. And it's not gonna—it's not gonna be hundred percent because the ego can get subtler and subtler and subtler. And you can think you're following an ego. I mean, your your intuition, your inner uh, self, the being, and sometimes it's just a subtle ego pretending. That's okay. There, there's no—the life of a warrior is just acting upon that inner voice and being okay with making mistakes. Oops. I love that, the
0: life of a warrior.
1: Sometimes you're going to get tricked.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you get blindsided by that ego.
1: This is Matthew Matthew and Terzi signing off for Guts Guts and Glory.
0: This was Amen to Abundance with Matthew and Terzi Zengelhardt. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get touched to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday. Thanks for lending us an ear. Pass it on the mic.